It's been called the epicenter. And in fact, it is the very center of the world. And the things that happen there are very central to your life and to mine. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zukerin. Dr. Zukerin is a scholar, author, and speaker who addresses spiritual and cultural issues of concern to all of us. Today, Dr. Zukerin discusses the current crisis in the Middle East. What is the significance of some of the recent events in the Middle East region? Today, you'll get Dr. Zukerin's analysis. And we know that this program will make you want to know more, so we have resources for you at evidenceandanswers.org. Everything there from atheism to Zen Buddhism. Check it out today, evidenceandanswers.org. And now, here's Pat Zukerin with part one of the current crisis in the Middle East. Well, the rising conflict in the Middle East stirs within us a sense of worry as we see numerous areas of our lives affected by what goes on in the Middle East. Rising oil prices. I noticed that my credit card bill seems to be double what it was just a few weeks ago. Rising price of gas, of energy, rising price of food, and all else is affecting our lives in numerous ways. Terrorist activities increasing throughout the world. The rising power of hostile regimes bent on the destruction of America and the West cause us all great concern. However, events in the Middle East should also awaken our awareness of Bible prophecy and God's activity in the world as we near His return. And the present uprisings in the Middle East today should catch our attention for several of the nations in turmoil today indeed are named and play a key role in the battles which will be fought at the end of the age. Now today I want to give you a brief overview of the unrest we are witnessing today and then how some of these countries named will play a role in the conflict that will occur at the end of the age. Many of us are aware of the uprisings going on in the Middle East. The nations experiencing these uprisings at this time are Algeria, Bahrain, Egypt, Jordan, Kuwait, Libya, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Somalia, Sudan, Syria, Tunisia, and Yemen. And several factors have led to these massive uprisings. First, there is a growing unrest from decades of corruption and injustice by their political leaders who through mismanagement and corrupt practices have left their people in poverty with wealth under amongst only a small upper class of people. Imagine these countries, millions pouring in for the oil and other resources that they produce, yet they continue to be some of the poorest countries in the world. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, and several of these countries dominated by Islamic regimes were once thought that they would be the model nations to all the world of prosperity and justice and righteousness. But it has not turned out to be so. Then we have the desire for freedom that's built within each one of us. As people observe other free nations, as they now have access to the internet and see the freedoms that other nations enjoy, they wish to participate and gain that freedom as well. Also, may I add, and this is just my personal opinion, I believe they're seeing what's going on in Iraq and the freedoms and the opportunities the people are having now, even as that country struggles to build its democracy, they're beginning to see that and want to participate and bring in that kind of freedom to their nation as well. And third, 
there is the availability of the internet and the internet also on the cell phone to communicate and mobilize large masses of people for these kinds of movements. Now, although these upheavals seem disorganized with no clear leader, is there a mastermind behind what is going on here? Or is there a leader that is beginning to arise? Well, it appears that two influential powers seem to be at work behind the scenes here. Now, before I explain the two influential groups that, are, that seem to be at work, the names we keep hearing popping up behind these conflicts, let me give you a brief overview of Islam. In the Islamic world, there are two major divisions. You have the Sunni and the Shiites. These two groups divided at the death of Muhammad. The Sunnis were the majority, and they've been ever since. They believe that the successor of Muhammad should be one of the most loyal disciples of Muhammad, and, say, and so they selected their man. The Shiites believe that it should be a blood relative of Muhammad and believe that the first three caliphs, the first three leaders of Islam, were illegitimate leaders. And these two groups have been at war ever since. So the Sunni and Shiite war has been going on for over 1,400 years, and they're still at war today. Now, the majority of the Islamic world is Sunni. There you see on the map, the light green represents the Sunni-dominated countries there. So the vast majority of those in Islam are Sunnis. 10% of Islam belong to the Shiite group, and the Shiite group dominates mostly Iran and Iraq, small bits of Afghanistan, and down there on the Saudi Arabian Peninsula, and a island nation called Bahrain. What's interesting about the Shiites, we don't have time to go into a detailed study of their theology today, but their eschatology is something that interests us tonight. The Shiites believe in what is called the 12th Imam, or the Mahdi. It is believed that the 12th Imam, or the Mahdi, he is a messiah, a messianic figure, who Allah placed in hiding in 941 AD as a young child. Some Shiite groups believe that he is hiding presently in an underground well. Others believe that they have cited the Mahdi in their country. He will arise and return and defeat the non-Muslim world when the world is in chaos and at war. And he will arise and bring in the golden age of Islam as he defeats all non-Muslims throughout the world. And many Shiites, for example, the president of Iran, believes he can hasten the return of the Mahdi by starting an apocalyptic kind of world war. There has been a movement in several countries with large Shiite populations to overthrow Sunni-led governments and replace them with Shiite leaders. There is also the desire in many countries that have moderate Sunni leaders to replace them with more radical Islamic leaders. Now, one country that's coming to the forefront here, that's having a tremendous influence on events that are going on, is the country of Iran. Iran now has the largest population of the Middle East nations, 75 million people, and the largest military force now. And Iran seeks to influence countries with Shiite majorities to overthrow their Sunni governments and establish them with Shiite governments. Its current president, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad believes very strongly and has expressed his goal to destroy Israel and the United States 
Ahmadinejad is a Shiite Muslim who believes that the 12th Imam, the Mahdi, will return when an apocalyptic war breaks out throughout the world. Dora Gold, former Israel's ambassador to the UN, wrote this regarding the Shiites and their view of the apocalypse. He wrote, The appearance of the 12th Imam can be hastened through apocalyptic chaos and violence by unleashing a holy war against Christians and Jews. It is within man's power to bring about the end of days. Ahmadinejad believes his mission then is to pave the way for the rise of the Mahdi. Iran has been a major leader in the spread of radical Islam. Ali Ansari, an expert on the history and politics of, Isra of Iran, writes in his book Confronting Iran. He writes this, Iran is not simply a problem, it's the problem. It's not just a member of the axis of evil, but the founding member, the chief sponsor of state terrorism, or to use a more recent characterization, the central banker for terrorism. U.S. News & World Report stated, Iran today is the mother of terrorism. Tehran openly provides funding, training, and weapons to the world's worst terrorists, including Hezbollah, Hamas, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and the Popular Front for Liberation of Palestine, and it has a cozy relationship with Al-Qaeda. We know Iran is working in the country of Iraq at this present time, with the U.S. withdrawing from Iraq. Iran seeks to influence the outcome of this nation. And many of the terrorists and insurgents presently working in Iraq, we have discovered, come from the nation of Iran. Another country that Iran is very interested in is the country of Bahrain. Here we have a picture of Ahmadinejad, who stated just a few years ago, he said, America is the world oppressor and Israel must be wiped off the map. A world without America and Zionism is attainable and surely can be delivered. That is the intent of the much of the sentiment in the Muslim world, something that Ahmadinejad has so boldly proclaimed. Now, another country of great interest to Iran is Bahrain. Bahrain is a Shia, uh, has a Shiite majority, which Iran is encouraging to rise up and overthrow the Sunni government there. Bahrain is an island nation connected to Saudi Arabia by a causeway. Bahrain is where the U.S. Fifth Fleet is stationed, and the toppling of the government of Bahrain by a Shiite movement would potentially embolden the Shiites in Saudi Arabia, who live primarily in the oil-rich northeast area. It would inspire them to rise up and hopefully declare an independent state from the country of Saudi Arabia. But it would also weaken the U.S. military presence there in the region. Not only that, in Oman, Oman, Qatar, and Yemen, these nations also have a U.S. presence and uprisings there could also affect the U.S. presence and its ability to secure the area and our oil coming out of the Suez Canal and the Strait of Hormuz, the two points where our oil is shipped through. If you want to put a chokehold on oil from the Middle East that comes to the United States, if you put a block on the Suez Canal and the Strait of Hormuz, you can put a strong chokehold on the oil that's shipped towards us here, thus creating another oil crisis here. Another name we hear about is the Muslim Brotherhood that is emerging 
in Egypt. The Brotherhood was founded in Egypt in 1928. Their claim that their intent is strictly philanthropic charity and spiritual with the goal of spreading Islam. Since its beginning, the Muslim Brotherhood has aspired to reassert Islam through the establishment of Islamic Sharia law and establishing Islamic governments throughout the Middle East, including the nation of Israel, and to bring the entire world under Islamic Sharia law and the rule of the Islamic Caliphate. Right? What is the Caliphate? Well, that's like the Pope. That's the leader who would lead the Islamic world. He's not only the religious leader, but the spiritual leader. And they seek to establish that once again for the Islamic world. What you see here is the banner of the Muslim Brotherhood. You may see that on TV or where you're seeing protesters around. You may see them holding a poster of this banner here of the Muslim Brotherhood. It is a Quran on top with two cross swords underneath. And in Arabic, the words below the swords there is the word prepare. Now, it may seem like a peaceful model, except that it comes from the Quran, chapter 8, verse 60. The Quran which states, prepare against them as you are able to force as you are able of force and Calvary to terrorize Allah's enemies and yours. The motto of the Muslim Brotherhood is this, Allah is our objective, the Prophet is our leader, the Quran is our law, Jihad is our way, dying in the way of Allah is our highest hope. So although they claim to be a charitable and spiritual organization, they are in fact tied in with international Islamic terrorist organizations. And over the last eight decades, this group has given rise to jihadist terror groups such as Hamas and Al-Qaeda. The Brotherhood is involved in terrorism against all American interests in the Middle East and against the nation of Israel. The Brotherhood is a very active supporter of Hamas and has pledged violence against Israel, who they view as illegal occupiers of Muslim land. The Center for Global Security states, Hamas, which includes military and political wings, was formed by the late Sheikh Ahmad Yassinat at the onset of the first Palestinian uprising or Infitada in the late 1987 as an outgrowth of the Palestinian branch of the Muslim Brotherhood. And we know that they are also operating here in the United States under different names. They were the group very influential in bringing Islam Day here to Hawaii. The bill that was passed last year announcing September 24th as Islam Day was sponsored by the Muslim Brotherhood right here in Hawaii. They go, of course, by a different name. I believe it's the Muslim Students Association. But they are the ones that brought Islam Day here to our state. They're operating, we know, here in the United States. Unfortunately, uh, James Clapper, director of U.S. National Intelligence, stated on TV and on radio that the Muslim Brotherhood is largely secular, and has, but he has ignored the facts regarding much of this group. So those are the two names we hear in this whole conflict coming to the forefront. What are the possible outcomes of these uprisings going on throughout the Middle Eastern world? Well, the most desirable outcome is that peaceful moderates would take over or somehow democracies would be established. When you understand the mindset of those in the Islamic world, 
When we think of democracy, it's very different from the way they think of it as well. And also remember, in the Islamic world, there is no separation of church and state. The religious leader is also the political leader. There's no separation in Islam. So would it be possible to establish peaceful democracies there in these Islamic countries? Well, it's a very difficult, difficult task uh, that's ahead of us for our men and women there in Iraq and in other Middle Eastern nations. Another outcome, which is more foreboding and a very possible one, is that civil war breaks out in these countries and even worse regimes rise to power in these nations. If radical groups such as the Muslim Brotherhood take over, their goal will be to carry out the agenda expressed in their motto and by nations like Iran to destroy Israel and the West. These regimes would seek to overthrow the leadership of Arab nations with radical Islamic leaders. Uh, these regimes could put a stranglehold on oil supplies to the West. And these leaders would seek to destroy Israel and her allies. Well, this is the situation in the Middle East today. And now we come to the area of Bible prophecy. How does this relate to Bible prophecy? Well, this is not the fulfillment of end times prophecy, but perhaps what we're having here may be setting up the stage for what will occur in the book of Revelation and other Old Testament prophecies regarding the end of the age. Now, we're just going to look at a couple prophecies. There's numerous prophecies regarding the end times. We're just going to look at two today because some of these countries are specifically mentioned in these famous prophecies. Before we go in to studying these prophecies, let me give you a brief overview in several churches I've spoken in, not this one, of course, they are not familiar with the events of the end times. Calvary chapels are known to be a church that teaches very strongly on prophecy, so I'm going to go through the timeline real quickly, since most of you know this timeline. We are now in what's called the church age, Revelation chapters 1 through 3. The church age will suddenly come to an end with an event called the rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when the church will suddenly be taken out of the world. Every believer in Jesus Christ will suddenly be taken out. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says he'll come suddenly like a thief in the night with the uh, trumpet call, the dead in Christ shall rise first and we who remain shall be with them forever. So we're going to be raptured. We're going to be taken to heaven and glorified in an instant. When will that occur? May happen today. May happen after this sermon. May happen a thousand years from now. We do not know uh, when this will take place, but that will bring an end to the church age. Now there are other Christians, good brothers and sisters in Christ, believe the rapture will occur in the middle of the tribulation. Some believe it will occur at the end of the tribulation. We go up and we come right back down. Okay? I tend to believe that the rapture will occur before the tribulation. I think the biblical arguments there are much stronger that the rapture will occur before what we call the seven-year tribulation. The church is taken out, and during the seven-year tribulation, God will unleash his wrath and judgment upon the earth. God will give man what he wants, a world without him. And his judgment will be unleashed upon the earth. Revelation chapter 4 through 19. Then at the end of the seven-year tribulation, we return with Christ. We defeat the arm armies of Satan and the demonic hosts and the kings of this world who are in rebellion against Christ. And he sets up Revelation chapter 20. His millennial rule, the thousand-year rule of Christ, 
here upon the earth, okay, where he rules and reigns for 1,000 years. After that 1,000 years, Satan is let loose out of the bottomless pit. One last time, he deceives the nation to rebel against the Lord, and we fight one last battle there at the end of the 1,000 years, and then we uh, Second uh, Peter, Revelation chapter 21, heaven and earth are destroyed. They're burned up in intense heat. He creates a new heaven and new earth. Crystal city of Jerusalem comes and lands upon the earth and we go into eternity, right? That's a brief overview of what's going to happen at the end of the age as outlined for us in the book of Revelation. Now, here's a famous prophecy, Ezekiel chapter 38 and chapter 39. Very famous prophecy of Gog and Magog here. Now, Ezekiel 38 and 39 describe a battle that will occur during the seven-year tribulation. Some people think this battle will occur early in the seven-year tribulation. Some believe it will occur right around the middle of the tribulation, Ezekiel 38 and 39, when a coalition of nations come upon the nation of Israel to destroy the nation of Israel. So let's take a look at that prophecy real quickly here in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. In this battle here, verses 1 through 6, a coalition of nations arise against the nation of Israel. It says here, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, set your face toward Gog, the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And I will turn you about and put hooks into your jaws, and I will bring you out and all your army, horses, and horsemen, all of them clothed in full armor, a great host, all of them with buckler and shield, wielding swords. Persia, Cush, Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all his hordes, Bethogarma, from the uttermost parts of the north with all his hordes. Many people are with you. So a coalition of nations here are named who come to invade the nation of Israel. Now, here is the nation, here is the list of nations that are named. First, Gog is the military leader of this coalition, and they come from Magog. Now, if you look on the map here, Magog is the land between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, present-day southern Russia. Meshech, Tubal, and Gomer are in the present-day country of Turkey. Persia, of course, is the present-day Iran. Iranians are descendants of the Persians. Kush is present-day Sudan and northern Ethiopia. Put is modern-day Libya. And it's this coalition of nations that will rise, led by Gog, and march against the nation of Israel sometime during the tribulation, whether early in the tribulation or in the middle part of the seven-year tribulation. It says here in verse 8 that they will gather against the nation of Israel. After many days, you will be mustered. In the latter days, you will go against the land that is restored from war, the land whose people were gathered from many peoples upon the mountains of Israel, which had been a continual waste. Its people were brought out from the peoples and now dwell securely in all of them. states that the people of Israel will have been gathered once again from many nations. Now, many people believe that this gathering occurred about 500 B.C. when the nation of Israel returned from their exile in Babylon. But it doesn't fit the description here because when they return from Babylon, they are simply returning from one country. This regathering spoken of in this passage is 
the return of the Jews from many countries from around the world. This seems to better fit the return of the Jews to the land of Israel that occurred in 1948, where the Jews returned from all the many countries of the world. And here the attack will come from all sides of Israel. If you look on the map here, Magog from the north, Persia from the east, Cush and Put from the south. And the result of their attack is that God will show himself real to his people through his miraculous deliverance. Now, presently, the Muslim nations that surround Israel seek the destruction and elimination of Israel. And if through these upheavals, radical regimes take over, Israel will be in grave danger. Several of these nations, we know, fund Hamas and Hezbollah, terrorist organizations created for one purpose, the destruction of Israel. Well, once again, we're out of time, but we'll pick it up right there next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucarin as Dr. Zucarin discusses the current crisis in the Middle East. Thank you so much for joining us on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucarin. Get more information at evidenceandanswers.org as well as audio from the Hawaii Apologetics Conference where Pat was joined by Dr. William Lane Craig. Topics include the existence of God, the problem of God and evil, science and religion, the new atheism, And that's just for starters. It's all at evidenceandanswers.org. If you believe that we ought to know what one believes, but also why one believes it, then become a part of us at Evidence and Answers. Your prayers and financial gifts help keep Evidence and Answers on this station and keeps Pat Zucran giving good evidence and good answers when it comes to the things of God. Just click the donate button at evidenceandanswers.org. It would be a real blessing to hear from you. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.